Let's pray. Heavenly Father, nothing better to say than hallelujah. Amen. Well, this day is about forgiveness and love and new possibilities. It's about experiencing God's extreme love for you. And all of that happens without Lily's big breakfast, music, videos, or Sunday go to meet and close. Although all those things really are nice. Now, because you're here this morning, you have a basic understanding of what Easter is. Or you have greater needs than yourself, and somewhere you heard that Jesus offers hope to those who don't have any. Easter is more than chocolate bunny, Easter eggs, and church. Once we figure that out, it changes things. Because none of us are experts at Easter or God or church. You see, no matter how much we know, I guarantee there is always more. So what questions would you ask God? I used to say that I had a million questions, but the truth is, it's more like a Googleplex of them. Yeah, you'll have to look up how many numbers that is because that's a lot of zeros. What questions do you think Judas was asking after he betrayed Jesus? What questions do you think Peter was asking after he betrayed Jesus for the third time? Or Pilate, as he sent Jesus away to be crucified, remembering his wife's words, don't have anything to do with this man. Or Jesus' mom, as she watched her son die. Or, or all of the Jesus followers. Or even the people that were just passing by and happened to see that sign that says, this is the king of the Jews. Or maybe heard some of the words that Jesus spoke. There are two kinds of questions. There's the kind of the, the question where we actually want the answer. And then there's the other kind. Yeah, the kind where we really don't want to hear the answer. Yeah, you know, if this is your first time here, or it's your 3,458th time, I want you to know that none of our answers come easy, but they are always what we need to hear, even if we don't want to hear them, which is why we need to ask them. I started off saying that this day is all about forgiveness and new possibilities because, to be honest, if Easter doesn't offer forgiveness and new life and eternal life and, and, and new possibilities, then it's a waste of our time because Easter offers all those things and more. It's worth more than just one morning or one day. It's actually worth our whole life. Let's connect the dots of Holy Week. Now, Thursday night was about the Passover lamb. A, a perfect lamb gets sacrificed. Its blood marks the doorposts of the believers' homes and hearts. And because they are marked, the angel of death passes over them. In other words, no blood, no hope. Friday was about death and darkness. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 16 specifically, it's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Two goats get chosen, two perfect goats. One is sacrificed to make the temple and the priest clean, and the other is led out to Azazel, which is the wilderness. Given to Moses and Aaron by God, this ceremony has been celebrated every year without fail for thousands and thousands of years. Now, there were also two scarlet cloths. If it was tied around the goat's neck, then that was the sacrificial goat that would make the temple and the priest clean. If it was tied around the horns, it was the scapegoat. The scarves also symbolically tied the people to God's promise in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, where it says, Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The priest prayed over the goat, placing the sins of the nation on that one goat, and then the goat was led out into the wilderness where they knew that the wild animals would devour it. As long as the goat died and didn't return, then the people's sins were forgiven. If the goat returned, so did their sins. I want you to think about that. When you taste the bread and the wine at communion, when you feel the water flowing over your brow at 
baptism. Other than being a little wet or maybe tasting the burn of the wine, nothing else really happens, does it? There are no bells, no lights, no whistles, no sudden swooping in by a dove to settle on your shoulder. You look and pretty much feel exactly the same as you did the moment before you took communion or before you were baptized. You don't get a receipt from God that says payment accepted, sins forgiven, forgiveness granted. And I think this is why some people really struggle with their faith. We don't get proof that God accepted our confession. And so it causes us sometimes to wonder, did I do enough? Did I do it right? Is there anything else I got to do? And I think this is why some people, as they go through this, when they come to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, it becomes very important. You see, on Good Friday, the last words I read from the Bible were from John 19. That's where Jesus cries out, It is finished! Exclamation point, boldface, underline, italicized. And what was finished is the power of the devil. Yeah, the power that the devil has over you, gone. It's finished. Oh, I know there were no flashing lights or sirens or email receipts from God saying payment received, but your sins and my sins and the sins of the world were forgiven. Now, if you know Jesus is God's son, if you accept he lived for you, died for you, and rose again for you, if his words are more than just words, if they are your very breath, then sin, death, and sin have no power over you anymore. None. Because Jesus was the necessary sacrifice. He took our place on the cross. He took our place in the tomb. You know, I was a history major because I loved history. I still love history. I discover things all the time. I discover why things happened and and why it was important. And so when I was doing some research a number of years ago on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, I went to the Talmud. Now, the, the Talmud is the authority when it comes to Jewish traditions and ceremonies. It's how they explain a bunch of the things that are in the Bible. If you want to know more about the scapegoat and how it was chosen, or what and how the priest in the temple wore, or how certain celebrations were to be done, you go to the Talmud. Now, it's divided up into different books, and one of them is called Yoma. Now, Moses and Aaron and all the priests and people after them celebrated the Day of Atonement every year exactly the same without fail. Everything was done the same. Two goats, two scarlet cloths, incense, sacrifices, goats die, scarlet cloth turns white. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot to tell you about that last part, didn't I? I, I, The Talmud said on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the scarlet cloth from the scapegoat got hung outside the temple, and without fail, every year, it turned white. It turned from scarlet to white. Now, they couldn't explain it. They took it as a sign that they had done everything right and that God had accepted their payment and their sins were forgiven. I know that some people probably thought there was a little old lady who, when nobody was looking, swapped them, or maybe that there was some sort of chemical reaction or, or, you know. But, you know, for the same thing to happen every year for thousands of years without fail, yeah, that really only leaves a miracle. Now, the miracles, though, ran out in 70 A.D. That was the year the Romans destroyed not only Jerusalem, but the temple. Jesus even said before he died, you know, when that happens, I'm prophesying that not one stone will be left on another. See, that year changed everything for the Jewish people. There were no no more sacrifices because there was no more temple. In fact, there was no temple for them to worship in. I mean, this really changed everything about them because the temple was the center of everything that they were. The people and the priests got scattered, and among other things, the scapegoat ceremony wasn't possible, at least the way that they'd always done it. As terrible and earth-shattering as that day was, the Talmud records the priests knew something was changing 
long before the Romans destroyed the city and the temple. You know, when the same thing happens year after year for thousands of years, and then it stops happening, somebody's going to ask, what happened? In Yoma 39b, it says, Our rabbis taught during the last 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the lot did not come up in the right hand, nor did the crimson-colored strap become white. And the Talmud also says they had problems keeping the temple lamp lit. They had a lamp, much like our eternal flame, and they never had a problem with it until 40 years before the temple was destroyed. Some of the rabbis and priests wondered if this meant God was no longer present in the temple because the eternal flame was kind of like God's I'm in sign. And since the scarlet cloth didn't turn white, maybe he wasn't accepting their sacrifices either. See, you have to admit, since those things had gone on year after year after year for thousands of years without a problem, something had obviously changed. What was it? Uh, Many historians and theologians agree the very first Easter probably took place right around 30 A.D. The same year the scarlet cloth quit turning white. The, The same year they started having problems keeping the temple lamp lit. Hmm. Anybody draw a correlation here? The book of Hebrews says in chapter 10, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for all sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So right around 30 AD, Jesus is crucified. The gospel tells us the temple curtain gets torn from top to bottom, meaning there's no longer any separation uh, between God and us. Our, Our sins have been atoned for. We can walk right into the presence of God without fear. The book of Hebrews says because of Easter, you didn't need the scarlet cloth to turn white to let you know that your sins were forgiven. Nor did you need a lamp lit to let you know that God was present. Everything changed because Jesus, the Lamb of God, came to take away the sins of the world. And when Jesus died, all of our sins, and I really do mean all of them, they were gone, erased, paid for by God's sacrifice. I know we say the tomb is empty, but but that's not technically true. It's filled with all of our sins and failures and all the other junk that we store up in our lives that would separate us from God and separate us from one another and separate us from ourselves. If you're like me, when you get home today, no matter how exciting Easter is, you still have bills to pay. Relationship issues, a lawn to mow, work issues, a dripping faucet, a car that's making a strange noise, and that's when you say, so everything really is just like it was before Easter. But is it? I mean, we don't sacrifice goats anymore, unless, of course, we're talking about the annual Army-Navy football game. The closest we get to a sacrificial offering is when we're barbecuing a hamburger and we get the grill turned up too high. God doesn't take credit cards. Becoming a monk in Tibet or a missionary in Haiti is just a little too extreme for most of us. So if we're going to make God happy, what can we possibly do for him? 3,000 years ago, King David wrote these words after some pretty big sins in his life got exposed by the priest. David said, Oh God, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering or I would bring it. And David had a lot of cows, so he could have made all sorts of offerings. The problem with sin offerings is they're too easy. Pay for your sin and you're done. Even if you weren't sorry or you're already planning your next sin, if all you do is pull out a credit card, buy a go to 10 church 18 Sundays in a row, that's cheap and you know it. Oh, you're going to complain. You're going to look for a shortcut. But you still got off cheap. 
You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and that's why the atonement ceremony was so important to all the people. If the goat didn't die, the people would. Something or someone had to pay for their sins. Enter Good Friday. St. Paul wrote, if we only have this hope of Jesus in this life, we are to be pitied more than anyone else. If Jesus didn't die for our sins, well, it means they're still our sins. Imagine standing there on that day of atonement in 30 AD. You've seen this ceremony dozens of times. You wait until the moment they announce the goat is gone. It's not coming back. And the scarlet cloth turns white and the party begins because your sins are forgiven. Everything is new again. And yet that year, uh, things don't happen the way they always have. The goat walks back into the camp. The cloth doesn't change colors. It stays as red as red can be. Good Friday and Easter, both are necessary, both are needed. Without one, the other is worthless. Did Jesus really die for our sins? Because if he didn't, then nothing changed. Did Jesus really rise from the grave? Well, if he didn't, then nothing changed. But if Jesus died for our sins, and if Jesus rose again, then there is hope, and change is possible. King David finished his thoughts in Psalm 51 with these words, The sacrifice God desires is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Sacrifices. And it doesn't matter what those sacrifices are. Unless your heart is in it, well, they're worthless. God doesn't want your stuff. God wants you. And it starts with your heart. If it helps, I want you to think of your life as the scarlet cloth. You are that bright red strip of cloth hanging on the temple door. All your sins, all your pain, all your failures for the whole world to see. Everything that has ever hurt you turned your life upside down, brought pain to another person. That is your scarlet cloth. That is your life. But Jesus died for you. And the only way you're going to get this is to understand that it's very, very personal. Jesus knew your name. He knew where you were going to live. He knew how many hairs were on your head. And by the way, if you're bald, he knew how many hairs used to be on your head. Yeah, he knew every sin, every hurt, every mess you've ever lived through. And he died for it all. Here's where the scarlet cloth turns white. It's when you start living like you're forgiven. When you begin to embrace how much God loves you, when you realize you will never, ever be able to make God love you more or make God love you less it really can change the way that you see things and the way you live. And the only thing God wants out of you is for you to live like you're His child, loved, forgiven, free, oh, and forever. I guarantee something. If you live like you're forgiven, like Jesus really died for your sins and rose from the dead, the rest of the world will notice. And when they ask, you know, how can you live this way? How can you be so confident? You can give them the long version, which involves a temple, two goats, a high priest, some scarlet cloth, a very intricate ceremony that happened the same way for thousands of years until it took a serious left turn in 30 AD. Or you can just give them the short version by saying, well, thanks to Jesus, Easter gives us endless possibilities, starting with me, and by the way, you, if you want, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.